to episode four of the Board Game Gambit podcast. The Need for Speed. I'm your host, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about real-time games. Yes, real-time games, games that you play where more than a turn, you follow a timer. And we will get to that. I think they are a very interesting subset of our regular gaming experiences. And I think they go in a vein that is different usually from what people look for in board games. So it's going to be an interesting discussion. How are you doing? Good. I am on day 103 of my board game a day challenge. I know in previous episodes I had discussed how I'm running out of smaller games. So I've been buying new ones. So <laughs> so that is what is going on over here. We are very happy to be able to have a hobby that we can share together since the world is sort of on pause. But we get to really enjoy spending time together through gaming. I did notice on your Instagram page that there were some games that went, oh, I didn't know you had that. So now that that explains it. <laughs> yes, that is why, because I was running out and I wanted to continue with doing that since I'm still working. I can't do longer games every day. Fair enough. So what have you been playing this week? I am trying to look through my notes. Weeks are starting to meld together. Also, we revisited an old favorite of ours. When we first got into board games, especially American board games, we got into Summoner Wars, which is a very simple tactical game where you have a deck of cards that represents both your units and special powers and the energy that you will be using them for. There is a way to get energy by killing the opponent's unit, but it's also your deck. You can burn it to produce more magic. This is a game by Colby Dodge, who's the founder, and this was the main title, I think, of Planet Games that then later became Asmodee part of and now has become independent again. It was what really put him on the map. It evolved from Heroescape and all of that. And it's one of those games that I really appreciate because playing a different faction is completely different. You played it once, but I don't know if you remember it. No, I don't. So the way it works is you have this grid. I think it's five by six or six by six, something like that. And you simply use your cards as units and move them on the board. Uh, Each unit can move two spaces. You can move three of them. It's very straightforward. You move three units, attack with two units, you roll dice. Interestingly enough, you hit with three plus on a d6. So it means that you can count on it most of the time. But when you don't, it's not this super rare occurrence. So it's an interesting probability study, I think, compared to the standard either 50% or it's harder to succeed than to fail, where you expect to fail. And there are, I think, in the version that we have, which is the master set for those looking for it with a bunch of expansion in. So we now have 16 factions. I know that there are more out there, but they mix things. And each comes with this deck of around 30 cards, something like that. And you play and it takes 45 minutes, but each faction develops its flavor very well. There are units that are super strong and don't hit very hard. Others that are very frail, but they can zap through the board with special movement. Others keep coming back. And I find it very interesting. It's one of our most played games, which is not surprising being mainly a card game. Is it a two-player only game? I was going to say yes. It's one of those you can technically play for, 
but you don't want to. I, I have never tried it. I have no interest in doing it. I think you combine two boards and then you play simultaneously on the two sides. I don't know. It's a two-player game. Okay. <laughs> I haven't ever seen it played four players. I have never read this session report with four players. I've not known of people like it with four players or even tried it. So what about you? So we got to play one of my favorites for day 100 of our challenge. So we played The Godfather, mm-hmm. Corleone's Empire by Eric Lang. And that game is a lot of fun. I really like it because it's worker placement at its core where you are trying to send out thugs or other family members of your particular mob family and you're trying to get resources and complete jobs. There are ones that are there for everyone to complete. You also have some in your hand. And when you complete these jobs, they give you a special bonus at that time. So they usually give you money, but also the ones that require a lot of guns let you gun down enemy thugs. So that is a lot of fun because you end up essentially removing their workers from the board and throwing them in the river. (laughs) The visual of that is funny to me. It's area control and I really like it. I know you've played it with me before. What are your thoughts on it? As you were saying, I think the strongest part of that game and what really makes it unique is the worker displacement. It's a worker placement, all right. You occupy spaces. There are some that are strictly better, I think, and they are intended to be better than others. And you can build some of those, which is one thing that I really liked in Lords of Waterdeep. And this is taken into a much more interesting game, in my opinion, where you can develop or take control of certain buildings. And so... If you take control of the district, you gain something from people doing it. But then there are ways to displace it either through completing these cards, basically, these missions or uh, jobs, as you were saying, where you gun them down and you throw them in the river, which is very visually interesting. And you can also, there are certain that are stronger, right? You are your capos and your, your tags. And that combines with an area control and you want majority in certain places and to top all of that there are places that are in two areas so they are particularly juicy which also means that they will probably be gunned down if people can so there is an interesting balance there it's by eric lang right yep how early or late in his design career is it i want to check that out why we say that i did like it is not my favorite by him i think what i feel doesn't really make it great for me is particularly how the jobs are taken you just throw them from that and how they feel very very set collecty you just do it and that dampens a little bit the thing for me another thing that i didn't love was one of the most interesting thing i think is the additional characters the mayor and all of that Mm-hmm. But the way they come in, can you remind me, how do they come in? Do you have auctions or something like that? Yes. So at the end of each round, you are auctioning off a card. In a two-player game, it's one card. But with more players, it's always one less than the total number of players. So the whole time you're putting money into a suitcase from your hand into a suitcase. And those are points. During this auction, at the end of each round, you are taking money out of that suitcase putting it in the lid and revealing what you're bidding. People who don't bid high enough get their money back, but the person who bids the highest gets first pick and then so on. But the different characters that are available, like you said, the mayor, the police chief, they have a lot of 
powers. It's funny though, because in this last game that I played with Scott, the only people that came out, so there are ones that are similar between the acts. The only people that came out, each one was a suitcase person. So the first one in the first act let us suitcase one item. The second act, it was a person who let you suitcase two items. And so we were hoping for something else, but it didn't ever show. <laughs> I am curious about how it works with two. I feel like compared to other Eric Lang games, this seems like it could work very well with two with the back and forth. I displace yours, you displace mine. Or if I don't take this, the other person will take it, which is a little counterintuitive because I felt that was sometimes a problem. I felt that if I made a mistake, I was more, more impacting the person after me than the person that I was trying to hurt. Like if I was trying to take something from you and I failed or maybe I took the space that the third person wanted or now they had to stop you. And that's common in, in area control games, but here it felt a little bit like an unintended consequence. So this game was in Eric Lang's repertoire between Blood Rage and Rising Sun. Yes, which surprises me. It feels like he tried to go simpler. He did Blood Rage, actually, the others, which is super overwrought, in my opinion. And then he went to this, which is way more straightforward. And I don't think that was connected to the necessity of an IP because it still wasn't marketed to, oh, here, you have heard of the movie and get this game. I, I don't feel like that was the case. So it feels like he went simpler, but then he goes to Rising Sun. So probably he wasn't too satisfied with the simplicity of it. I don't know. I mean, the rule for first player, though, is the last person who's watched the movie. Well, fair enough, but they are also selling under <laughs> under a license, right? So Yes, yes. What else have you played? We have been on a Star Wars kick, which I might have mentioned last time starting, because we have been watching a lot of Star Wars movies and cartoon. Therefore, we actually got more into a game that I mentioned last time, Star Wars Rebellion. And mm -hmm. interestingly enough, it's a very long game that up until now we had played a few times, 10 or a dozen times, which is not nothing for a game that can take three to four hours. But we had played it here and then four months later played again. And we have played it, I think, four times over the last week or a couple of weeks, of which two back-to-back -back on a very, very late Friday night. And that assumes a completely different dimension to the point that I said last time that I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's not particularly into Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I might want to revise that statement. I mean, if someone is disgusted by the team, obviously, I still wouldn't suggest it. Like if someone finds it, oh, it's so annoying. I can't stand Star Wars because I don't know. My friends always talk about that. And obviously, it's still there. So I do understand rejection. But if someone is just more on a casual relationship, yeah, it's a movie that I saw and that I didn't hate, which is how I feel about a lot of movies, then I think it's definitely one that they ought to try because the tension between the full information, well, one side has full information and no power. And so it's using the fact that it has information to try and thwart the plans of those who have all the power, but not the relevant information is extremely intriguing. The timing element of the game, time works in one side's favor, but at the same time, the other player has power. They can use all of that power 
And so the more time, the more power and the more potentiality, although the timer is running against them. And I feel like that's really, really deep. And this is on top of being extremely thematic and extremely true to the movies. How long does that game take? Always between three and four hours. I haven't had a game. Well, I once lost the game in less than an hour, but that was me. If you are a regularly normal player, it takes between three and four hours because it's not very common for you to lose early. It's a find me, hidden movement kind of hidden location game. So if you want to be very bold and go, oh, I'm right here next to where you are, and that goes badly, then yeah, it can be short, but it's normally three to four. It is my new Twilight Struggle, I feel. Twilight Struggle, when we got it, we at one point when we started knowing it well, we got into that, oh, I want to play this again, doesn't matter how long it takes because it's so deep. And I'm realizing that he got there. It's a different lure. Speaking of another game that we mentioned, Nemesis, that I know you don't like, but there the lure is just the theme. If Nemesis was not about what it is, I wouldn't feel compelled by it. There are a bunch of rules that are game-wise okay, but they work with the theme or don't work, whatever. Here, all of the rules are very smart also in terms of gameplay. For example, you're doing missions, but you're not completing missions to do points. You're completing missions as a way to alter the board state that later will let you score conditional points, which is subtle. It's two-step process, but it makes it much deeper and much more euroy also, even if combats, for example, are resolved by dice. So another game that I played this past week was Magic Maze which fits in with our theme. And that game is by Casper Lapp. And it is a real-time game in which you are different mythical characters, dwarves and warriors and things. And you are in a mall, <laughs> like you normally are, in fantasy worlds. And you are trying to steal different items, but they all have to be taken at the same time, and then you all have to escape. And this game increases in difficulty the more you play it, the different modes that it has that you can increase the difficulty. I am terrible at this game. <laughs> Scott is also terrible at this game, so we kind of just flounder around until the timer is completely up. So you can flip the timer by going on a timer spot, and then you can talk about how poorly you're doing. <laughs> and then you just keep going and trying to explore to reveal different areas of the mall. And it's a lot of fun, even though I'm terrible at it. There's a big red pawn that you can sort of tap in front of people if you want them to do something, which is very comical in a two-player game because basically we're tapping <laughs> and then he doesn't get what I want him to do. So he picks it up and he taps it in front of me. So I'm like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? No, I need you to do something. So then I tap it back in front of him. So it's very fun. Like it's a very light game. It plays super, super fast because you're going off of a timer and you can't talk during it. So it's a real-time game where there is no talking. So that's also another added level of difficulty to the game. Yeah, I can imagine with two players because I haven't played it nearly as much as you. I think I played it three times or so. But I remember that the pawn is specifically to say, I'm expecting something from you specifically. But in two players is, of course, I'm expecting something from the other person. So it would be an interesting, an interesting situation where if I'm not doing something, you must be doing something. So the pawn almost feels like 
uh, overabundance. <laughs> yes. I liked it. I don't know how I feel about replaying it. I would like to explore the new stuff, right? The fact that you can add things. Not that we, when we played, we completed all that we wanted to, but... I felt compared to other cops, and I do like cops usually way more than you do, but the fact was that the three times that we tried the same scenario, and I think we succeeded on the third time. So I, I probably played more than three games of it, but in three instances of it. It didn't change much. It was, okay, we have to go there and do this, and I know that the tiles come out differently. But I felt like the only draw for me, which was not nothing, because I do play legacy games, for example, was to see the new models. So if someone now said, do you want to play, I don't know, the the first or the second step again, I would be sure it takes 10 minutes, I can do it, but it's not something I would look for. And I'm wondering whether that's me or that's the design itself. What do you feel about that? You have played it more. I assume that for you, going back to the same puzzle is still interesting. Yes, because it's not exactly the same, right? You have a set of tiles and they come out in a different order depending on how they were shuffled. So it's not a very clear path to victory. It's not something where you know exactly what you're going to find in that area of the mall. So that makes it for a high replayability for me, at least. I was going to say they have come out with a few expansions for it, which I don't own any of them, which is rare for me, but (laughs) I do not have any of the expansions. So there's one that has security guards. So you have helpers, but you also have more challenges, like sensors. The other one, which just recently came out, which I feel like is excessive, <laughs> is Magic Maze Hidden Rolls. Oh, no. Right? So there, so there would be a traitor? No, 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 no. That game is so hard as it is, like, let alone to try and have someone working against you actively. <laughs> Not only that, but also I feel like the individual actions are so straightforward that sure, you can try and mess it up. But I prefer trader games where there is some arguing to do in, oh, I did this not because I misunderstood what you were doing, not because I got confused, not because I thought you would have done that, but because this was the best choice because this and that. And I really like that in games, being able to argue. First here, you cannot argue for yourself until the end. You can talk about what you're doing if you flip over the timer. When you flip oh, over sure. the timer, everyone can talk. But, but that's not a good time to discuss <laughs> trader because you are using the timer. So I don't want to play that with the trader. It has also hidden objectives too, like go to a specific location or something. So, oh, I'm doing this not because I'm the trader, because I needed to go to purple or something. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it has a very distinct visual, although that's mostly on the box. Well, one thing is the use of white, which I find very interesting, very refreshing. The background is very white, full of things on top, which I think wants to play on the stark difference between the very white and clean mall, all fancy, and the barbarian moving through it. And the cover is all white. The art is by Guillaume. I do like it. I don't feel that comes up during the game. Like when you open the box, the box is white with this very cartoony people on the white background. Then you open it up and there is this white throughout the thing. But then once you're playing, it really comes down to a grid. Maybe because it's timed, maybe because it's 
so greedy, greed, greedly, <laughs> greedled, I don't know. It has a grade. I feel like I don't feel the art throughout. For example, when you mentioned that they were barbarians and things, fantasy heroes, until I brought up the cover on BGG, I was feeling, what is Nathan talking about? Where is the fantasy part? And I feel that's really, really, really just on the cover and on these four pawns that you have. Do you have pawns or do you have little standees? I don't remember. It's, it's pawns. So the fact that they are fantasy heroes is not even in the images. You get stickers, which you can apply to the pawns, which have a symbol on them. But that's it. Oh, sure. No, okay. Then I, I withdraw my objections. All of a sudden, I feel like it's very driven by their fantasy team. What do you mean? I'm being sarcastic. Oh, I was like, what? Did you not understand what I just said? <laughs> have you met me? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. Well, sure. And that's why you, you assumed I didn't understand. I get it. But I was talking about the other part, the, the sarcastic part. <laughs> what else have you played? I played, again, Star Wars Kick. A lot of the Star Wars, the card game. But that's almost not a board game. It's a living card game. So it's more in the Magic the Realm world. I've played it hundreds of times because it takes 30 minutes but another one that we played after talking the last time was Bruges but we talked about that last time oh this is big one and the, the last one I want to talk about today Taramara oh, so okay. I need this thing to finish to end the pandemic well for the obvious reasons but also because <laughs> I really, really need you and want you to play Terramara. I'm almost certain that you will like it, which I don't feel about all of the games that I like. It's a Euro with a few new things, but not that many, but it was so good. It felt as good as Newton that you know that I, I really liked. So Terramara is by the Akitoka Italian design team, that group of designers which are quickly becoming my favorite with probably Feld. This is by Flaminia Brasini, Virginio Gigli, and then two that I don't know, Stefano Luperto and Antonio Tinto, art by Michael Menzel, which already tells you all that you need to know about the kind of euro it is, a very classic euro. So the theme is of no relevance, although it's technically the prehistoric depiction of my own region. So there is that, Northern Italy. But of course, that doesn't mean anything. So it's a worker placement game. You alternate placing workers with a couple of crucial twists. First one, you have a very long list of placements where only a few are available to you. You can go to the other ones, but those are future actions, which means you go explore parts of the land where your tribe hasn't reached yet. In game turns, that means that you can take those actions, but if they are in row two or row three or row four or five, you will only get that worker back when you get to the end of that round. So if in round one I place someone on round two, I will not have that worker available on round two. And then when round two ends, they come back to you. And the other twist is that it's a worker placement. So when I take a spot, you cannot take it unless you have more military than me. Then you can come to the same spot and lose a military. And this military track is part of the scoring, is part of certain requirements. When you play with two players, you have two dummy players that don't go around. They are simply placed there as obstacles, but they are not simply this space is grayed out. You can go there, but you spend military. It's easy to have more military than them, although not guaranteed because they gain it at the end of each turn. And each spot only has two spaces. So if there is a spot where there is already a neutral player or another player in four-player game, you can go there. And if I go there and spend the 
the military now that's locked out for you because no spot can ever have more than two meeples. Then what you're doing with it is very traditional. You take resources and then you convert them in advanced resources. And there is a river of cards that slide down and that you can buy with these resources. And that's an interesting thing. You are moving along the river. So not everyone has access to the same cards. The further along the river you are, the more access you have to these objective cards. So oh, if Anna takes that, then that will become available for me because they slide. So there is another direction of timing of when to do things. And the interesting thing is you don't use an action to buy the card. It's simply after every action, you can buy a card. So you could chain, I do this action, get to these resources, get that card. Then when it's my turn again, assuming the other people haven't taken the card that I want, I can do this other action and do this other card. And on top of all of that, you have this military track which is used to, as I said, take places where other people are and vice versa prevent them from taking it because if I'm higher in military than you and I go there, you cannot unless you're using your chieftain, which is a special worker. And it's worth point at the end of the game. And there is an action that allows you to raid other players and steal a few resources and how many you steal is based on the difference on your track. And if all of this wasn't enough, there is also, much like Newton, a track where you move your worker down the path and it gets some bifurcation of the road. It's different options and you can get either extra resources and stuff or scoring conditions for the end. It's amazing. It sounds like a lot. It's a lot. It's less than Newton. I feel like it goes better than Teotihuacan. It gives similar feeling, but to the point that I have no doubt in my mind that I prefer Taramara. I like Teotihuacan, but I feel like I could now not have it. I'm happy that I have it. I will still play it, but it really, really jived with me. The art is very nice. Again, no one is ever going to play this for the theme. And I don't think it's too much because it flows. It flows very well because you have these four workers, you take an action. And while there are different tracks and different things, contrary to Newton, for example, or to Teotihuacan, you only have these many options because all of the tracks and all of the river and all of the cards are separate. They are not activated directly by your action. Your action is how you get to resources and how you sometimes move up on the track, but it's very numerical. So you don't have this, okay, what kind of action I want to do is I have these four actions that are directly accessible to me. I have these two more that I can pay something to get, or I have these that if I really want to do those, I am sacrificing a pawn for next round. So your actions are somewhat limited and it's great. I had seen it at PAX Unplugged, but it was on pre-order for something like $100 plus shipping. So I didn't want to do that. Now that it's in range of a regular board game, it was great. It has quite some replayability because of a bunch of tiles and tokens that are changed every game not drastically different but i think you will be definitely on the side of this is quite some game but it's worth it it's not in the oh this is uselessly complicated yeah it sounds like something that i would like to try for sure and you usually like the game by those designers like you like coimbra you like you like lorenzo i don't remember if you played lorenzo yes i like lorenzo a lot yeah and so and Coimbra and 
this is their the new one. The only one I didn't like by them was Agizia, which is an old game that has now been reprinted. But in general, they are a style that I feel I adore, but I feel it's also up your alley. It's that medium euro that goes towards heavy, but is not fully heavy euro, and that's my sweet spot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have a last one for us? The last one that I wanted to talk about was Chronicles of Crime Noir. <laughs> this is me clapping. So that is by David Sorcerov and Stefan Ankatil. And it is different than the base game. So the base game, you are trying to solve crimes through different actions. You can interview people, you can check out different crime scenes, and all of this is through an app interface. So you are scanning QR codes on cards to ask people about specific items or places or other people. You are looking for clues with a VR element. They have these glasses that you slide onto your phone to make it a 3D image. So that way you can look around through a fake 360 photo. Do you have them? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. We don't. We don't. We play without. Oh, so sad. And... It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. The main resource that you have to expend in the game is time. Everything costs time. Every time you travel, it costs time. You ask someone about an item, it costs time. You ask them about anything, it costs time. So even though I know it's the only resource that you need to keep track of, we often, when we play it at least, lose track of the time. And we let it get away from us because we're so excited. We're like, oh, we want to explore here. We want to look at this. And we want to talk to them about that. And have we talked to them about this? And so we get very excited about doing all of the things and then we're like oh yeah (laughs) the time is running out yeah with the time one thing that is somewhat frustrating is that the rules tell you explicitly oh sometime asking again someone something like presenting the same question again they will give you additional information and in general it feels weird that when you ask something and they go like i have no idea or they repeat the exact same sentence And it still takes you time. That's a little annoying. But I feel like that's the only way to avoid you scanning everything everywhere you go and simply try to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, right? So that's the base game. The expansion, Chronicles of Crime Noir, is set in the era of noir films. It comes with different people. It comes with different scenarios. Have you played the expansion? No, I have seen it. I'm very curious. I was reading that Anke Thiel worked on Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. So it sounds like the cases will be very, very interesting. Yeah, so there's uh, different actions that you can take in addition to the normal things that I described in the base game. You can interview a person and then you can rough them up if they don't give you the answer that you want. Oh, mine. (laughs) So you can force answers out of people. There's another option where you can tail people. It just costs a lot of time because you're trying to just follow them and hopefully something is revealed by what they're doing. And then you can also break into places. That's another option. Yeah, so there was a place that was closed during certain hours and we just broke into it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that was a lot of fun. You can bribe them? Oh, yeah. Money is a thing in this game, too. So you have starting money, and then you can find money or, like, get money from certain people for doing your job. But you can get money from people. And then you can give money to people to get them to change their answers. If you think that they know something more than they do, you can give them money. It adds all these extra things, which at first, when I was reading through it, trying to figure out how to play it, I was a little overwhelmed because, like I said, in the other game, I feel like I already use up so much time just trying to explore all the different things that now an added, well, sure, they gave me this answer, but maybe if I do this, they'll give me a different answer. I thought that it would be overwhelming and really slow the game down for me, but the designers really made it clear when something like that will work. They give you clues, whether it's in the dialogue or the description of the area or things like that. So it didn't feel like I was going to just scan stuff without cause. Is it four scenarios? Three or four. And how do they compare so far? Uh, did you like them more than the basic game? Or was it just that you wanted more stuff to do? We did one. And the one that we did, I really enjoyed. It felt a little easier almost. Because mm-hmm. we've had some trouble with the base game ones before. But this one was very intuitive. Well, at least for Scott. Scott is really good at these kinds of games. And I'm more the devil's advocate. He's like, well, this is clearly why they did this. And I'm there to just say, but couldn't it be this? (laughs) So (laughs) he gets frustrated because I do that quite often. But it's a role that I happily take on. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't tried that. But I really, really like Chronicles of Crime. I will ask you this question, but I feel like it's rhetorical. Have you seen the new Kickstarter for Chronicles of Crime Millennium? Yes. Yes. I didn't back it. You did not? No. Good. Did you? I did, so you can play ours. Okay. I was a little annoyed that they went with three completely independent games. It's three boxes, is having to get a new app. But it's interesting that they went, is basically a three period piece scenarios and it will come with a lot of scenarios so i'm excited about that so there's one more expansion that already exists which is welcome to redview do you have it yes i also own that one so that one you're in a cabin in the 80s and there's combat roles for something there's dice involved So I don't know how I feel about that one. I was skeptical that I would like the noir one after reading the rules. So maybe it will be a similar experience where it's different enough to give it a fresh feeling, but not different enough that it completely changes what I really loved about the base game. I'm curious about what you think about that because the theme is not I feel something I'm drawn to as much as noir, but I will look forward to hearing what you think about that. I will let you know. So we should move on to today's topic. For once, I think we could have some easier to do definition. For me, real time games are games where the pace is not determined by turns. You don't have a set amount of turns where the game proceeds through but instead a real-time component is of the essence. The only thing I would add to that is that everyone typically is taking their turn at the exact same time. Like you said, there aren't specific turns. It's everyone going at the same time, trying to further their own game while everyone else is doing the same. I feel that what these games do very well is they introduce, not so much they introduce a pressure because that's not necessarily good, but the takeaway from the perfect accountability of the game. They introduce this element of you cannot be perfect. 
at a game like this. You have either to balance speed against efficiency, if it's, say, a competitive game, or if it's a cop, or if the other players are not taking it uh, particularly fast either, you have to do the best you can, but you know that you cannot map it out. So sometimes you have to deliberately take not as efficient choices because the time is important. So in a way, you are being efficient with your time rather than with your action, but it introduces this wrench, which I think makes them more accessible. I very rarely felt someone, by playing a real-time game, was, oh, this is so unfair, or this is so not fun because you are much better at this than me. Even when I am on the slow end of the curve, I feel that the time was what was limiting me, not the experience of the other players. I wanted to touch upon a couple of weird ones. So one is one that you introduced me to, which I feel breaks our idea that there are no turns, which is we are doomed. Yes. And despite the fact that I'm not in love with the game, I find that it's a very interesting beast. So in We Are Doomed, the scenario is we're all doomed. And we're trying to do what? Escape? Escape on a rocket. Okay. And you have to fund the rocket. And depending on how much you put into this fund, it can seat a certain number of people. Yes, but that plays in turns. It's just that the game takes 15 minutes. So I feel like that was interesting but maybe also what I really didn't like, because if someone really wanted to game it out, you could simply make your turns longer and therefore use the timer rather than being constrained by it. And of course, I would never do that, but someone could technically say, well, I'm still thinking about my turn and make it run (laughs) 10 minutes, and then they just take one turn, right? Which, of course, is not the spirit of the game. It's also a very light game, so you don't do it, but it is a little frail in that regard that the timing is important but you being slow impacts everyone or vice versa you being fast doesn't necessarily help you which is interesting yeah it's a definitely a different kind of game because like you said you are trying to fund this rocket and there's no guarantee if you give your money that you will even get on this rocket so sometimes it's better to attack people And eliminate them from the game, especially if they're going slow. I don't think I've played any other game like it. Me neither. Which may be good or bad. I must say, I was happy that I tried it. Yes. I don't feel like I will bring it out, but I think we played it twice, right? We imparted it on someone else. So it wasn't too bad, I guess. No, I like it. It doesn't take itself seriously, so you can definitely have a lot of fun with it. I like that it plays a larger group, which I feel like is almost needed in that game. So another game that I wanted to mention is Panic on Wall Street that you might like since you like Stockpile. is basically just the time. There is no actual game, so it's an auction game. But It basically throws you in a stockbroker simulation where there are people who are selling stocks, people who are buying stocks, and that's in real time. And I feel that was the most free-form real-time game that I played. Of course, there were rules. There were winners and there were the way you spend the money. But there were not only not turns, but not steps that you went through. It was a free-for-all, okay, you have this much time to negotiate. And so for people who do like economic games, that was a very different experience, which I suggest people who do like that kind of stuff try. That sounds interesting. I have never played it, nor have I even heard of it. So I would definitely be interested to try it out. I stumble upon it at the convention. It's 
panic on Wall Street and people needed an eighth person, I was drafted into it and that's fine. It was a fine experience. Okay, so I'm ready to get to my three plus honorable mention. My honorable mention is not completely real time. It's by our man Lang. Do you know what it is? No, a real time Lang game? Yes, you played it. I have no idea. It's XCOM, the board game. Oh. Well, you played it. I didn't say you liked it. I said you played it. <laughs> so XCOM is the board game port of the video game. And the video game I love because it actually plays like a board game. And interestingly, the video game plays more like the board game that the board game does. Because the video game is a turn-based video game, while the board game... It's a real-time game, or at least it's half real-time. It's by Fantasy Flight, Eric Lang, 2015. Plays with an app, you are simulating defending the world against aliens. And what I really like is that different players are doing completely different choices because each role is very different. It's a co-op game, but they're doing it under pressure by an app, which not only has a timer, but being an app can be much more detailed. It's not uh, you have five minutes to make your decisions, is. Nathan, you must do this choice, 20 seconds. Okay, Jackie, you must do this other choice. You have 15 seconds. Okay, now, Nathan, back to you. You have another minute to do this. And then in the meantime, you should do this other thing. And there is a player whose main role is to manage all of this timing. And it gets really pressury. But it's not completely a real-time game because then all of the resolution of what you do is done afterwards in slow mode. That game gives me anxiety. <laughs> I played it and I played the person who sent people out on missions. So I was responsible for trying to defeat aliens and I was terrible at it. Yes, I do like it. It also has a problem of for how it is organized, you want the right number of players. And maybe when you have four players and sometime you may want to play something more deep. But I really, I really, really like it. Okay, what's your number three? I follow the rules. So my number three... <laughs> is oh. going to be Captain Sonar. Captain Sonar is by Roberto Fraga and Johan Lemonier. And basically, it's Battleship at its core. Well, a complex battleship. It is a hidden movement game where you are trying to find an enemy ship and you are trying to destroy them before they destroy you. You play it in teams and there are different roles that you can do. One person will navigate the ship. One person will do repairs on the ship. One person will load torpedoes and mines and drop them. And it's very chaotic. One person also is listening to the other team to try and figure out where they are so they are taking down notes of the directions that they're going yeah and i feel it's an excellent game the teamwork works very fine you have to completely and constantly look at what your other people are doing with the exception of the person that's tracking the other ship the way they track it is when you move you announce the direction you're going and the other team doesn't know where you are. So they have this map and they are trying to guess where they are based on the path that you're taking. So you go like north, north, east, east. But also when you do that, you are enabling other members of your team to do certain things, which is not very thematic. I don't know why you cannot load the torpedo if we don't go east, but it works. <laughs> it works as a game very well. And it's a team experience is one of the few real team experiences that you can have. I think it built upon a game by Engelstein, 
which was fine, but had some problems, but was Space Cadet Dice Duels. Have you played that? No. So basically the idea is the same. You have two teams, you are chasing each other and trying to shoot each other down. It's in space, so you see each other rather than being hidden, which is, I think, a great idea of Captain Sonar. The problem is that he wanted to focus more on the mechanism, so you do that by rolling dice and you re-roll them, which is fun in itself, but A, is harder to track, so it's much easier for people to make mistakes, even in your team or in another team, and so it's often a little unfair. Or vice versa, you have to constantly say to players, especially who haven't played before, oh no, you cannot do that. Captain Sonar solves that. And also, there were a few useless rules, I feel, in Dice Duel, but it had the same feeling, a team versus team, but it was little rules and easy to mistake that it is intended that one member of the team does nothing but telling other people what is needed right now and check that they do things right which gives you a feeling of how overcomplex for a game like this that is. I really like Captain Sonar because of the high replayability. It is a very different experience depending on what role you're doing. Also, there are different maps that you can do. It does have a non-real-time option as well but i feel like it's not something that i would be wanting to play no but i think it is intended for when you teach players you'd go okay let's do three turns of this and then you remove it and now you are in the real game i feel that's what it's meant to be right it tells you learn with the turns and you do a few okay now you do this without turns and the only rhythm is the rhythm whenever you move everyone has to go check 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 because they have to note certain things but your teammates and then you only stop when you're shooting because when you shoot you have to check whether you hit or not also it's the only way to play a two-player game wait you played captain sauna two players yeah oh that's a nightmare i think well it's not real time is what i'm saying it's turn-based yeah, but still, you have to manage all of those boards, which are difficult enough. But they also came out with a smaller version, which is called Just Sonar, which I think is meant for two or four players. Uh, but I don't know it at all. I don't either. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> My number three goes to the opposite end of the spectrum. It's a game that I got for a dollar because it sounded dumb. And it's dumb. And it's fun bears. and it's bears <laughs> and it's definitely my guilty pleasure in bears you roll a bunch of dice there are five dice per player and each player rolls their five dice and taking turns one player rolls the pool that has five dice per player and so the pool can represent just two things bears or tents and your dice can represent rifles mm -hmm. sleepers or runners and you have to match rifles from your pool with bears from the middle and runners with tents and you can if you want match sleepers with tents but if at the end of the game which ends when all the tents or all the bears have been taken you get positive points for shooting at bears which is a little sad you get positive points for running away from bears the sleepers if you match them with a tent and there are no bears left in the middle you slap through the night which is better than running around so you get a lot of points but if there is even one bear you get eaten and you lose points and you play a bunch of rounds because each round takes 30 seconds and you play until you have 100 points so it takes 5 to 10 minutes it only plays well with 4 it's fine with 3 but you really want to play it with 4 and it's hilarious every time i explain it to people people are like oh, sure but then they begrudgingly have fun and i think it shines that also has expansions. Have you seen those? I've read of them. I wouldn't know what they are right now, but I really don't need them. It's good. 
on its own. This is so simple and so based on being fast that sometimes it feels a little unfair. I play with friends whose son is a monster that is super good. Chris. And uh, Chris and John <laughs> doesn't want to play it anymore because I can keep up with Chris most of the times and I'm usually fast at dice rolling, but it takes literally less than 10 minutes. So it's not a prolonged pain, even for those who don't like it. Again, I don't think they don't like it. They just don't like Chris, which is a different thing. <laughs> and Bears is by Anne-Marie DeWitt. And I was looking to see what else she has designed. And the only other one that I know of at all is Munchkin Panic. Okay, so it doesn't have a timer, at least Castle Panic doesn't. Okay, we spend more time discussing bears than playing bears. <laughs> so, to you, next, next. The next game that I would like to talk about is Pictomania, which is by Vlada Zvatil. And it's a party game where you are playing Pictionary, so you are drawing and guessing at the exact same time. You are drawing a clue, and other people are drawing clues, and you're guessing people's clues, and it's all based on these cards that are displayed. You get a symbol and a number, and you go to that card that is in the display, the card that corresponds to that symbol, and then you go to the number on that card. That's your clue. You're drawing it. Other people are drawing. Not that, but they're drawing other things at the same time. So it's basically you need to do both well. You need to guess well. You need to also draw well because you want people to guess yours so that way you don't have negative points. When people don't guess yours, you get negative points. So it's, again, a very fast game, as most real-time games are. I don't think my heart could handle <laughs> playing a real-time game for like two hours. <laughs> oh my god. I'm so happy you chose this because it was definitely in the running for me, but I had stretched the rules enough and I didn't want to even mention it. But I feel it's very good. First of all, it's a game, as you said, by Vlada Cevatlo without by us, which is great. <laughs> it's a little different in that first it doesn't have a timer, but it's only against other people. But that's fine. That's true of also Captain Sonner and the Bears, etc. But also it evolves from games that people are already used to have a timer in. Like it evolves clearly from Pictionary and Pictionary as a timer. But here, the dynamic of how fast you want to go is super interesting because you can draw very well, but by the time you're finished, not only people would have guessed on everyone else, and if you guess earlier, as you said, you get more points, but also it might even be that people have given up on you because since there is also a component of not only you want to be first to guess on other people, but you want to be the first to finish, people might decide, okay, I don't know what is drawing so if i'm doing this very artsy thing which i cannot do so someone else would do it but let's pretend i could they would just give up on me and move forward vice versa if you just grabble something oh yeah you might be very good at guessing other people's stuff but then you get all of the negative points for your things i have read of ways of gaming this basically if you first guess on everything and then you start drawing but again you get in the fact that you do it once and then people learn it just guess on everything else and leave you to to suffer but also why would you break a game like this one of the things is that the cards have categories so even if i get that you're drawing a piece of clothing i understand that your card is the clothing card but then you might add t-shirt dress shirt button shirt and the harder the difficulty the more that becomes nuanced later on you have different kind of boats which a tugboat and a rowboat and a steamboat and a sailboat. And then when you go higher, you have professions and the difference between a teacher and the professor and the public speaker. Or when you get to the very hard difficulty, a philosopher and a theologian and a theorist. 
is very hard to put in drawing. But my favorite is when you get to time expressions or pronouns and <laughs> getting the right pronoun. And you do all of this in a fast-paced way. It's great. The only downside is that I really, really only want to play it with five or six. Um, and that's not always easy to find a group of five or six where everyone is comfortable playing a game about drawing. Because no matter how much you stress it, people don't trust you when you tell them it's not about drawing well. It's not picture. You can be a mediocre drawer and still do very well at it. But people don't know it until they try it. It's a great party game. Yes. Although it is limited in numbers, both low and high. So you cannot say, okay, let's all play this. Because while you could technically but you would have to make components up, which is not an easy thing to do, right? Right. So my number two was Captain Sonar as well. I have already spoken about that. I will use this to say that explaining it can sometimes be a little bit of a pain, not only because getting people into the idea, you may want to use the turn one, but there are four different positions. I do that a lot at conventions. I like explaining it. And that was true also of Space Cadets. Fun story about this. When you explain these games, especially to people that you don't know, we were at Lobster Trap, a convention up in Boston. So I go through the explanation. I explain everything. A new person comes in and goes, oh, I really wanted to try that. Sure. Okay. I will explain it again. I explain all the roles again. And there is this role that is supervisor. So with this new person that we teach to, we're now seven. And so I go, okay, no problem. One team will play with the supervisor, the other will play without. And this person that has just joined a group and listened to explanation goes, well, that doesn't seem very fair. I think you should just moderate and make sure that everything plays well. Oh. And I am so dumb or kind, but I'm inclined to say dumb that I say, okay. And so I watch my friends play the game with my explanation and I sit it out. Oh no, so sad. Yes. Uh, so move on to something more fun, your first game. So my number one game is also technically not an only real-time game. So I did cheat a little bit, but it is Millennium Blades. Oh no! <laughs> By D. Brad Talton Jr. Millennium Blades is a game that is <laughs> about buying cards and building a deck and competing in a tournament through a trading card game. The real-time component is buying and selling different packs and you are trying to build your deck and then sell things that people want and through all of that you get this very fun experience. For me, the draw of this game is from when I was younger and I played Yu-Gi-Oh! with my friend and we would go to tournaments and do stuff like this so it was very nostalgic for me and a lot of the cards are actually references to different trading card games like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic the Gathering it's very tongue-in-cheek it's another game that doesn't take itself too seriously so that's the real-time portion is the buying and selling and creating a deck and set collection all those things are in the real-time portion and then you play a tournament with your deck that you just built you do that and score points and that's the other part of the game that is not real time i feel one of the problem was that that you do all of this trading you do all of this opening the packs which means acquiring cards and trading which exchanging with other players or exchanging with the bank and buying more but in the end the resolution of the points was very underwhelming for me the way you chain the cards then on a thematic level <laughs> i feel when i did play 
Magic or when my friends were playing mostly. All of the unfortunate part, which is that you have to make money to try and find the good cards and then you can finally build this deck and get to the fun part. In this game is the opposite. Like the fun part is supposed to be, oh, but getting frustrated by not getting the right card and go look for more. But I must say also that this wasn't made easy on me. When we played it, our friend Lou was very excited. I guess he is into all of this and he explained the game. So Anna, midway through the explanation, went, I can't take this. Guys, before we start, I will walk out. And it wasn't a problem because you can still play with three players. So it goes through all of this explanation and we start playing. And our friend Kevin was in pain the entire game. I have never seen him hating something like this. Not just the game. He tends to be a positive person. He enjoys things. And he was in pain the entire game. For me, it was definitely not as bad, but definitely not one that I want to go back. I guess if the theme was different, for example, maybe if they had focused it more, if they had some way of, say, you build your little Yugo similar deck or your little magic deck and then you go into something, or vice versa, if they had taken out that part and simply made it about resources, acquisition, etc. I really found frustrating that you're trying to build this Thing and then resolve it at the end and add up the points and it didn't work for me. Visually wise, it certainly prefers Yu-Gi-Oh! I feel more than anything else. It has a Japanese art style, but it doesn't have the cuteness of the Pokemon. So it's definitely more, I feel, Yu-Gi-Oh! than, say, Magic or Pokemon. And I find really charming, actually, that Millennium Blades is both the game and the fictional game inside the game. What is your number one game? It will come to no surprise to you. It's a game that I'm a little obsessed about and is Escape, The Curse of the Temple. And recently I have gotten the big box and I have been inflicting it on all of my friends. Well, when I could have friends over, whether they wanted it or not, with the excuse that it takes only 10 minutes. Although now that it has the big box, the first time I explain it, it takes like 20 minutes to explain all of the things that can show up. And it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly tense. The timer is a real-time music with gongs and quicker music in between. I use a compilation made by a guy on BGG, Michael Persall, I think. And thank you, Mike. <laughs> it's great. It combines Indiana Jones music and other stuff. And it drives everyone into a frenzy. You are playing the first 10 minutes of Raider of the Lost Ark. You roll the dice and you can reroll them as many times as you want unless you get the bad face that gets locked until you roll the golden face that can unlock the bad face. And you are trying to basically get the combination of faces on the dice that you can reroll to do different things. You need certain combinations to move through the temple. You need certain combinations to flip new dice from the temple. You need certain combinations to get rid of curses because of course you get curses and they are not just just negative points or anything they impact the way you play like you cannot reroll this die or you must play with the hand on your forehead or you must be silent or you cannot move from the room you're in or you cannot collect treasures because there are treasures that you can get of course and the treasures help you do other things and then you have three quests that you have to complete and there are like 12 quests that are possible in the game and one is to bring a chalice out with you and another one is to push back the ghost and another one is you have to build around the thing and there are rooms that disappear and rooms that lock you in and there are traps and now there are time things that inside the longer time of the game you have smaller time sand and I'm getting excited just like <laughs> talking about it. 
Also, the Mayan calendar. Oh, the Mayan calendar? We actually managed to beat it in a two-player, so we got the record score. It was a nightmare. The Mayan calendar takes all that you're trying to do in the game, which the main thing you're trying to do is to do this quest. You are trying to remove gems from a counter. There are rooms that allow you to remove gems and then find the exit and escape. But the Mayan calendar makes it harder to remove gems, so you might not be able to get out in time, even if you're doing very well. I feel like it's exercise. My heart pumps up faster when I'm playing this game. I am so bad at it, to the point where sometimes when we play it together, I'm like, oh no. I'm going to lose this for everyone since it is a collaborative experience. I'm very good at taking directions, so as long as someone points me in a direction of something to do, I'm less overwhelmed because it's so open in the sense that you can just go any direction and try and explore and try and find things and try and complete things, and sometimes you don't need everyone to complete certain tasks, whereas some do require people to be in all specific types of rooms. It's a lot of different things that are available to you, and so I get a little overwhelmed when playing it. I really enjoy playing it, but I don't feel like I'm the greatest at it because of the overwhelming amount of things to do. I think it's also a matter that you have always played it with four, which the difficulty is defined as decreasing a little bit. But the reason for that is that there is much more to track. Because when you play with two players, you have two choices. Either I keep doing what I'm doing, or I join the other person, right? It's very stark. Or if the other person gets stuck, I need to go help them. There are no other alternatives. Already when you're three, you can work on your own, pair up with one person, pair up with the other person, or say that we should all pair up. You went from two options to four. And when someone gets stuck, do I go back to help them? Or the other person goes back to help them? Or we both go back to help and do I help? person A or person B. And so the more players, the more the options balloon and you need to do a little bit more stuff, which might become easier because you have more players, but it's still more stuff to do. And this as the straight opposite of Magic Maze, where instead you are all working on the same pawn. So there the challenge is different, is, oh, I need to do the right thing because everyone is counting on me for this specific pawn. While here is that the opposite is, as you were saying, there is a lot of things to do. So even if you don't participate in one specific task, it's not bad per se, but of course you have a lot to consider. I'm happy that you have the big box though with all the different things. It's fun to try different modules in that, I will say. I haven't played too many games where the modules are so easy to add or take out of a game. And I feel like that's actually refreshing because it prevents the game from getting stale because even if you're playing the game I know when we've played it, we play it multiple times in a row, breaking your rule of not playing games in a row. (laughs) But we sometimes will change just one module of the game, which brings a totally different experience. Indeed, indeed. And I think also the theme works, of course, is thematic to a point. You're rolling dice and looking for symbols. But the fact that you're trying to escape and looking for the exit Sure, you're not really looking for the exit in a labyrinth, but you're looking for the exit through a stack of tiles. And the speciality of the thing, where things are, matters. And the fact that you are on the other side of the temple, and that's a very real thing because you need to move through all of these rooms to reach the other player, is something that works very well. They even came out with when all the zombie craze was going on and Walking Dead was at its height and a zombie side was coming out and all of those stuff. They released Zombie City, uh, Zombie City 15, something like that, which was the same game but with zombies. And not only I like the theme less, I'm not 
a zombie fan, but I feel like it didn't work as well. Because the only thing that makes sense is that you have to outrun the zombies, which of course is a time limit. But the fact, for example, that the city, you had to figure out where things were in the city. What, can I open the phone book or something <laughs> rather than running? And this works very well. And I think not only it's a game that I really, really like, it really does the real time well. And that's one where you are for 10 minutes not breathing basically because even bears it breaks down and even captain sonar it has some moments where you're shooting and you have a moment of checking wait okay okay and now everyone ready reset and of course those are longer games but escape is real time from the good luck you're gonna need it escape which is how my (laughs) soundtrack starts to the which is the end. And you are cardio active for the entire thing. And sometimes you just keep getting dice locked and that might not make for the best experience, but people can come rescue. There is also an automatic reset that gives a little penalty to everyone, but you can free all of your dice. So it's generally not a big deal. That for me is the height of real-time games. So I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Which was in real time, but you don't hear all of the real time because I make so much of a mess that Nathan has to edit out a lot of it. And I do appreciate that. Wherever you find this podcast, we're still figuring out how to get a voice out. I posted it on Facebook. It's on BGG. But thanks so much for listening. And if you like it, please share with people you know. And as always, signing out, I'm Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.